0: What's going on, people? Ryan Leary here from Work Defined. You're listening to Inside the C Suite, where we talk with executives and founders to learn the story behind their success and failures. Let me ask you a question Does this sort of sound like your position? You've been trying to build a company that just doesn't seem to be getting off the ground. You've bootstrapped for the last five years. You need a whole bunch of cash to survive, or Your board's breathing down your neck because they need to start seeing a profit. So you're kind of in a forced position to push a riff. It can suck, but it's all part of the game that we chose to play. You've got to figure out how to manage this, how to embrace the changing landscape of funding, how to adapt to investor mantras, the value of external capital, the role of the board, knowing when to take on funding, managing a riff. Future goals, milestones, all of this is so very important to your success. This is what we talked to Brent Pearson, CEO of Emborder, about. It's a candid conversation. You need to listen to it. It's 40 minutes of pure gold. Here we go.
1: This is William Tincup and Ryan Leary, and this is Inside the C-Suite. We have Brent Pearson on today, and we'll be learning all about Brent's journey as CEO, founder, and all that stuff. So uh, as you know from our previous Inside the C-Suites, this is going to be just kind of a wandering journey and learning about Brent and uh, and all the things kind of he's learned along the way. So why don't we just get to know him first? Brent, would you do us a favor? And uh, tell us about your current role, your current. Uh, CEO.
2: Yeah, so um, I'm the the founder and the CEO of a company called Emborda, and um, we're all about the employee experience. So we we make HR technology software. Um, we sell it to companies all over the world, and we help them create better experiences for their employees through moments of transition. Perfect. And uh, Ryan, you would you would love this. Half the time,
1: he they have offices in Austin, so. He's got his office down, down, uh, and I'll show you're in in Sydney, right? Sydney, yes. Yes, I thought so. He's in Sydney, but he also travels up here, goes to some conferences every once in a while, but really spends his time in the office when he comes up here. He comes to Austin, so that's his United States. Yeah, it's Austin, which is a good good representation, (laughs) not a good representation of Texas per se, but of all of the United States. It's actually pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it is. It's a great city.
1: So uh, why Austin? I I, I want to do, as y'all did site selection, you could do San Francisco, makes sense. If you want to go further and go over to New York or Boston or something like that, that would have also made sense for Europe. How did you pick Austin out of all the cities?
2: Yeah, I think, um, first of all, even though I love um, San Francisco and the Bay Area, I don't think we're a, a West Coast culture company, right? So I don't think we fit in with that culture that much. That much. Um, when I looked at the East Coast around New York, it was really expensive. So right. I kind of ruled out the two top tier sort of cities. And so then I looked at the the second tier, you know, the, the Seattles, the Denver, the the Austin, North Carolina. And um, I, I made a trip to Austin. And I just thought, you know what, this is a really cool city. And there's a lot of <laughs> similar vibe and feeling to Sydney. And so uh, probably one of the main reasons was um, I just... There's a lot of great talent there. With the, It's a university town, so there's a lot of great talent. And culturally, it, I just felt um, – I, I won't say that, that tech, I'm aligned with Texas, but I'm more aligned with Austin.
1: 100%. 100%. But it's, it's funny for me being in Texas. People in California uh, would say, man, I love Texas. I'm like, hmm. where would you go? Where where'd you <laughs> Yeah. Where'd you visit? Maybe, I was in South I was in Austin for South by Southwest. It was fantastic. Austin <laughs> yeah. is just Austin is great. I'm like you didn't leave Austin. Austin? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um so What back. you should probably just you probably should just say you love Austin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Texas is different. We even here in Texas we jokes like it's not a part of Texas. I mean it's it's such a weird and it's always yeah. been that way. Yeah, like, this is not a this is not a new phenomenon. When I was a kid, yeah. it was that way.
2: Yeah. I tell you, I, I, you know, I actually I actually find Texas fascinating, especially the history. The more I got to know the history of Texas, boy, it's um, it's incredible. Um so, oh,
1: yeah. oh, it's there's a there's a there's well, I mean, we were a we were a nation before we were a state. So you've yeah. got a bunch of a bunch every you year kind of up. a nation now. Yeah. Every, every year, Ryan, it comes up every year, it comes oh. up for ballot every year. Like, let's just leave the United States. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I think we're at this point, guys. I think we're over that. I think we can just kind of stay with the rest of the group. No,
2: every year comes uh, remember, up ballot, ballot. Uh, one of my first trips in, I, was, I, I came in through via Houston and, um, and I, was, I was lining up for, for immigration and there's this guy standing in, um, in front of me and he goes, I'm a dual national, Texas and American. <laughs> and uh, I think it's, I think that's that's, that's indicative. That yeah. It. yeah. I,
1: that's indicative. Yeah. So where do we start our journey? What do you, where do you want to, where do you want to start first? University? You want to start with your first
2: venture? What, where do you want to start? Yeah, uh, p- probably. Um, so, you know, so my, my first career was actually in film and television. So um, I started off in a very creative field and, uh, and loved it. Wow. So I was formally trained in, in camera work, sound, editing, 16 mil film and, and, um, and electronic. And yeah, my first, my first career started in TV, which I loved. And I'm still, I still love making videos and producing videos today, but now it's just purely a passion, not a job. And, um, but then, but then I moved into computing pretty early. So, um, and got a job. So when personal computers hit the scene, I just became fascinated with computing, taught myself how to program sort of made a career jump into programming, and then got a job in a in one of the top management consultancies as a programmer. And um, so that's kind of how I jumped it more into the business world. Um, you know, the first half of my career was spent in in large companies, and I, I jumped into HR tech by being had as a um, a CIO for one of the big staffing companies in Asia Pacific. So that's how I then moved from management consulting into business and uh, right. and then once i once i got into the the world of hr and i've never been a practitioner i've always been a um, a provider of technology solutions for hr i just i just became um i fell in love with with um the the power um the promise of hr tech and the ability to really you know help companies um create create better experiences for for their their people so um the rest of my career has always been in in hr tech Um, and the company that I worked for, we got acquired by, um, a company called TMP worldwide at the time. And they had this little brinky dink thing called monster.com. And, um, and so, uh, I, because of my technology background, I got relocated to Boston and, um, I ended up becoming the head of strategy for monster during the heyday of monster. So, um, you know, back in, uh, 99, 2000 up until 2004, I worked out of, um, out of the mill and main it and and really got to to explore and witness the birth of the internet, the world Wide web and, and HR applications on the web. So that was, um, that was uh, wonderful. And then after that, my, I sort of, my career changed. I, I decided to do, to go from big companies to small companies. And I got involved in my first startup. So I came back to Australia to sort of settle my kids, and got it, got it. And then I did a startup with a, a woman who was very experienced at doing startups and, um, She'd done a number of them and she said, Brent, you know, I want to do another one. Do you want to do it with me? And so I joined and that was kind of how I started getting exposure to startups and small companies. Um, We we built a successful company, but it was interesting. It was quite a fascinating um, lesson for me because I ended up leaving this company that I I kind of co-founded over differences in sort of um, vision and values. Like, so we kind of grew apart. And I, I hear this story a lot with co-founders, especially where you start aligned and then you diverge and and um, we diverged. And so I ended up walking away from, after about seven or eight years from a pretty successful profitable company that I started, mainly because, you know, yeah, the way the, way the company was going was not the direction that I wanted to go. So that was, um, and My first sort of interesting little vignette or story was uh, as I left that company, I wasn't sure what I was going to do and I decided to set up a little consulting venue. A competitor came and said, hey, if you're going to consult, will you consult for us? And I thought, yeah, this would be great. I'm going to (laughs) consult for them, but in a different regional market and I was going to go and do some consulting for them in in, um, Asia. And um, my ex-business partner took, took offense to that. And so she basically said, no, you're not going to go and work for a competitor. If you try to do that, I'm going to take you to court and I'm going to enforce your post-employment restraints. And of course, you know, when anytime someone talks about enforceability of post-employment restraints, it's like, yeah, no, nah, they're not enforceable. Well, I beg to differ. I got pulled into um, high court into a five-day trial in high court, which I lost. Um, we then went an appeal, which I lost. So my post-employment um, restraints were enforced for two years. So for two years, I could not work in my industry in Asia Pacific or for any company that had an operation in Asia Pacific. Oh,
1: my God. That's pretty deep.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Brian, where do you want to start? Where, <laughs> well, where, where do
0: you want to unpack of, that? Lots of things there. So I actually, I want to go all the way back to your film career. Yeah, because yeah. that that really interests me uh, today. I've always had an interest in in film and cinematics, and the, the annoying part for me, and I'm sure, and I'll and I, you know, I'm wondering if you have this issue too. I cannot watch a movie or uh, sitcom or anything and just wonder what the background, yeah. what's happening in the background, right? The camera angles, yeah. the shots, different things that are yeah. going into it, the writing. It's it's really it's really special, but c- curious. If we go all the way back to the time when you you entered into film and TV, what drove that? Why why did you yeah. choose that route?
2: Yeah, yeah. I um I grew up with a father that was passionate about photography. So we had a dark room in our home. I love photography as a as a hobby and I just wanted to go into a creative field. And um and I just and I still do. I love I produce videos all the time now, so I combine it. I, I, my passion now is adventure motorcycle riding. So I go out there and I travel to amazing places in the world, and I make videos of my adventures. And so I get to combine two pa- two passions in one. And yeah, I, I when I um, when I finished school, I kind of thought, you know what, this is what I'm passionate about. I'm going to make that my career. Um, but I actually think that, and while I did make it my career for about five or six years now i love the fact that i've moved out of it because now i can keep it as a passion and not as my work and um and so now here i am you know whatever 30 40 years later and i'm just i'm probably even more passionate about about it because it is not the way i earn my money it's just the way i um have my passion yeah
0: well if you're if you're looking for a side gig we have Plenty of podcasts, plenty of videos <laughs> that need editing. I'm just saying, it
1: out there for you. <laughs> See, no, I heard adventure motorcycles. Now he's uh, he he's in a
2: different place right now.
1: He's, not interested.
2: Uh, yeah, now <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, if it's not motorcycling, I'm I'm probably not. You're not going to convince me. No, you're not speed
1: bikes, adventure motors. That's off road, right? Off road.
2: Yeah. So I. Um, yeah. I do. I, I pack camping gear and I go off-road and I go into the wilderness for anywhere from um, seven to ten days at a time. You know, usually, and just um, go riding with my friends and we just go and explore parts of the world that you may not be able to get to by four-wheel drive or by foot. Wow! Yeah,
1: that, that, that is, is fantastic. Oh, I'm down This
0: with is, that. is in between running and border.
2: Yeah so, and and it's in between and and yeah. you know what it's um it's my it's my therapy it's my sanity it's my meditation right so when i go out on the motorbike and i'm out in the wilderness i'm in the moment and i'm yep. not thinking about work or what's going on at work and that and so i come back from my trips and i'm recharged refreshed and and ready for the next the next chapter or whatever it's going to throw at me next Right. So what's the, uh, what's the best place, I guess,
1: best, best experience you've had adventure biking?
2: Well, probably I did a, I did a trip to Iceland last year and I spent seven days in, in Iceland and it's just, um, I'll send you the link after this. I, I made a video of it. That videos had like over 1.1 1. 1 million views and it is just the, you know, the, the cinematics if you, it's just, it's like being on another planet. So, right. um, I love, I love, um, wilderness and remote places and um iceland's iceland's pretty cool did you bring your own bike or did you ship your bike or did you uh no i i rented a there was a, a guy that runs these small tours and he provides the bikes and support right. everything so um i was uh, I, I just went there but in australia i've got my own bikes and i we ship them yeah. we trailer them we move them wherever we need need to to ride well, we could do the whole show on the bikes. I mean, I
1: know we got, I know we got to do other things, but
2: we could stay yeah. there for a long time. Yeah. We probably should. We probably yeah. should.
1: What was it, people what was it want to like know living in you? Boston? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No joke. Yeah. What was it like living in Boston?
2: I love Boston. You know, some people give Boston a hard time because of the weather, but it sounds strange, especially being Australian, but I love the weather. I loved it because it's got four seasons, right? So yeah. when it's winter... Like bring it. The, the lakes freeze. You can go cross-country skiing. You're close to the ski fields. When spring comes, you just love spring. It's summer, it's short but it's beautiful. And then of course the New England fall is all is just. Um, there's nowhere else in the world like um, fall in New England. So right. I, I really enjoyed. I loved every everything about Boston.
0: You had me at the lakes freeze, but not for the skiing part. Ice fishing, yes. Yeah. Cross country skiing, not so much. Uh, So I'm curious here. So and and, so, (laughs) I'm just thinking of of all the things. I have so (laughs) many questions for you now. But the okay. So so, what's on your mind today? What's what's motivating you today? What's pushing you forward? You've been successful throughout your whole career. You've been and I want to get into that too. I want to learn what what's what's made you successful. Some of the failures, things like that. But what is driving you today? What gets you out of bed?
2: Yeah, I think um, starting my own company in 2015. You know, in a lot of ways, I wish I had have done that earlier. But this is going to be my last my last gig, right? And I want to um, um, I want to create something that 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 um, really makes a difference and changes the world of HR and and really makes a positive impact in in people's working lives and things like that. So that's what I kind of see as my legacy. Um, I think what we do and what our platform delivers is pretty amazing. We create better, you know, when when talent acquisition teams find the perfect person, we ensure that they have this incredible experience when they join a company. We ensure that they connect with their manager and their team and the company. And, you know, I think that's pretty cool. And I think that if we can, you know, help help companies create a better experience and for people to have a better experience, um, then I think we're making the world of work a better place. And, um, yeah, that motivates me.
1: How do you uh how do you surround yourself or what's your philosophy of talent like surrounding yourself because you know different leaders like different people around them right so what's yeah. what's your at this stage if someone were to be around you what's what are the what's the characteristics
2: what what, yeah. what yeah. makes someone successful the characteristics for me. Um, so we w- we are a values driven business, and it's alignment to the values that's really important. So so you know, getting someone that 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 loves what they do. one of our core values is love it. So I want people that that you know they wake up on Monday morning and they kind of go, you know, I had a great weekend, but I'm actually looking forward to to work. I'm going to be working on some great you know great customers and great colleagues and things like that. Um, we have another value which is keep it real, and so transparency is really important for me. You know. I think we've all worked at places where there's politics and games and facades and things like that. i got no time for that. You know, as I said, (laughs) I want to, between now and whenever I retire, I just want to, I want to just enjoy it as much as I can. So I'm looking for people that, um, that are just, just just passionate about making a difference and and want to, you know, dig in and solve the. You know, when you're doing a startup and you're sort of a tech company, it's almost, it's almost like it's just a case of, one problem comes and you've got it, and then another problem comes and you've just got to sort of get over the problem, solve the problems and get to the next stage. So it's almost like playing a video game in some way. And and you've got to have, you've got to have perseverance and tenacity, and you've got to kind of work as a team to get through, and make sure you're solving the right problems in the right order.
1: They're not there for what I heard, right. They're not there for the check. I mean, they get checks, of course, Yeah, but that's not the bit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, the, the, you know, it's interesting. I've made good hires and bad hires, but the the good hires they're the ones that just love the mission of what we're doing, and you know th- they love the culture and they love the customers, and you know th- they love it. It's and yeah, the paycheck um, the paycheck's important, but it's not what they're there for. Right. What's a, What makes a bad hire? <laughs> yeah, great. Other question. than
0: not performing, and they're just yeah, yeah.
1: like what, what really I'm, makes <laughs>
2: Yeah, look, I think besides the obvious, the obvious stuff, I think, you know, of just not performing or not, not doing your job, et cetera, I think it's um, if they're not aligned culturally. You know, I've, I've yeah. found that that um, for me that's, and whenever I've, like even during an interview, sometimes in an interview you see someone with great, you know, they've got a great resume and they've got great experience and great track record, be interviewing them and there's you get these red flags and mm-hmm. uh, and it's usually around personality and cultural fit. And, and it's whenever it's like, uh, you know, I know they could on paper, they could solve the problem, but um, then they don't work out. And that's, you, you always kick yourself. yeah Oh, a hundred percent. Cause you're not trusting
1: your intuition at that point as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, something's not right. Yeah. You know, that's, and, and people used to laugh. I mean, people have laughed both within and against the idea of like, I just want to have a cup of coffee with this person. Yeah. And then a lot of folks, especially early on when you said something about culture fit, uh, you get some people that just love that, and then you get some people that are like, oh, that's biased, this, that, and that. I'm like, no, right. no, if I I, uh, if I can't have – I know me. I'm not even talking about them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> if I can't have a cup of coffee with them, I'm going to yeah. avoid them.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Which is, I'm not going to get the most out of the relationship, so it has nothing to do with them. It's me.
2: yeah. isn't it somewhat ironic, right, that with all of the tech and all of the sophisticated, you know, psychometrics and things like that, we're still largely coming down to intuition or gut when it comes to, you know, key key highs? Yeah, it is insane. Well, the thing is, is I think
1: what what a lot of those folks, (coughs) the IO psychologists would say is look at all the data, look at all the data and then trust your instincts. But don't just be, yeah. like make data driven decisions but like so not having any yeah. data, okay, that's a bit yeah. scary. But to have the data and then go, Okay, something still doesn't feel right. And then and then and then at that point I believe that's the best part about being human is yeah. you then can be human. But yeah, the, yeah. I, I think having the data is important. Uh yeah. Ryan, I know you got some questions about monster. One of our former guests <laughs> uh steve o'brien was also at monster but i think he was after you right right okay very much yeah 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 so
2: I, I can't remember steve
1: so tell us about the monster especially then oh my god i can't even imagine what it was like back then
0: well that's what, when monster was relevant
2: oh, yeah totally oh yeah 100 percent monster complaint. was um monster not was not uh, relevant it,
0: if they're watching <laughs>
2: But but no, you're right. Monster was one of the you know they were one of the top websites in the world. They were the dominant oh, yeah. player in the job board space. That was before LinkedIn existed, before Giant. Indeed and and those existed. So it was the sort of big Kahuna, and uh, and it was a it was a great place to be at a great time. You know, it's just like I still probably would say that Monster is one of the best places I've ever worked, and um and I was there at just this. That the birth of the World Wide Web, right? That yeah. crazy time back in the late 90s, um, you know, leading up to 2000 when, um, when it, it, the world was just changing. And we knew we were, we were on a rocket ship. We were all buckled up. And uh, it was just exciting. No one knew where it was going to go. It was, you know, part chaos, part excitement, um, part craziness. But it was, um, it was just an incredible, I, I feel very lucky to have worked at Monster for the years that I did. Wow. Wow.
1: It, it, I just got chills actually thinking about it, cause, thinking about it because at that time, there wasn't, I don't think, I mean, that was the Google of that time
2: because yeah. it was yeah.
1: just all, they're all, I mean, all those players, you look back at the people that have monster in their DNA, Yeah, uh, maybe even some TMP in their DNA, they, uh, They've all gone on to be very successful. A lot of them have gone on to be very successful people. I'm sure there's yeah. an alumni network or something that's pulled a lot of those folks together.
2: Yeah, definitely. To, I'll tell you two two great little monster vignettes. Right. The first, so so um, Jeff Taylor, who was the, the, the founder of the Monster Board, and he was the CEO of Monster. I remember he um, Andy McKelvey was the, the chairman of TMP, right. and um, right. and uh, I remember at the time that, that Monster hadn't quite. Burst out to dominance yet it was kind of neck and neck with a few other boards and I remember um, uh, Andy McKelvey was talking to Jeff Taylor and said, "Look, if you could acquire another board and we could roll them, roll them together to get critical mass and leap leap ahead, which one would you what, would would you buy?" And I don't think Jeff spent a moment thinking about it. He <laughs> said, "I'd I'd buy this this board called OCC Online Career Center," and um, and Andy smiled and said, "Oh, that's good because I already own it." So he had bought a competitor and kept it from Jeff Taylor and our running competitors. And I think he was waiting to see which was going to be the dominant one. Anyway, they rolled those two boards together, obviously, and I think that was, uh, that was a stroke of genius because that was one of the things that just propelled Monster to critical mass. But I joined Monster in um, at the end of 1999, and they were getting ready to do their first ever Super Bowl ad, And um, yes. so they they... Did this ad called "When I Grow Up"? When I grow up, and it was, um, it was, it was a real big gamble, like a huge gamble, because I don't think any sort of HR company, or I don't even know if there were any tech companies at the time that had gone on the Super Bowl. And I remember everyone was getting, everyone was getting ready for this, and I, I went over to the the where our server farms were, and all of the engineers they had beds there, and they were basically we we were hosting. This is before the AWS era, so we had our own server right. farms. They were literally building and building and building servers. And there were servers out into the corridor that had overflowed out in the corridor because no one knew how much traffic was going to come out of the Super Bowl. And they didn't want to miss a single, you know, a single user who, who responded to that ad. And it was, uh, I remember being in the, the operations center that night when the Super Bowl ran and we were watching the traffic levels spiking up from the Super Bowl ad. It was, it was pretty crazy. It was uh, just a wonderfully exciting time. Great bet. Too. so yeah. did the, yeah, was the commercial payoff? hundred percent hundred percent that commercial that i think i think it was you know jeff taylor was um you know was one of the things he was was a marketing genius and he used to come up with the craziest easiest ass ideas for doing guerrilla marketing for getting monster um you know on the board you know and uh, that was one of them i, I remember he also did um, he did crop circles on the approaches to Chicago airport so that in the shape of the monster logo so that as you're flying in, you, you look down and there's the monster logo on approach and he, he just, yeah, he was a great marketer. Oh my God. That's
1: fantastic. Mm. Um, have you, have you taken some of those ideas or, or your view of marketing and your appreciation? Cause I, I know you do appreciate marketing cause we've obviously talked uh, and stuff like that. Is that, is that where that comes from?
2: Um, so so i would love to i would love to apply you know some of those ideas but i think that you know monster at that time like the the amount of revenue they had the amount of funding that they had it's yeah. kind of like a different scale i don't think you can kind of say you know if i turned around and said hey i want to sponsor the winter olympics or i want to uh, i want to um buy buy a, a balloon you know i think yeah. people my my board would just fire me first you know, before <laughs> Here's handling. your balloon. So, it's yeah, your going so away I,
1: balloon. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know
2: how many of those. Um, yeah, I don't know how many of those uh, experiences are, are directly translatable to, you know, a, a, a smaller tech company that's sort of growing. Right. I'm pretty sure right, right. on the
0: way to HR Tech, there's a farm
2: that we can do there a cultural
1: with. Hundred percent. And Border has the perfect logo for it,
2: too. Yeah, we do. We do. It would, it would look good. Okay, maybe we'll have to um, think about that.
1: <laughs> too funny. Too funny. So, um, uh, the partnership that you had and then uh, falling, uh, I say, I think the way that you phrased it was you kind of just kind of grew apart. Went in different if directions. Yep. Went in different directions. And then you went and uh, had, had tried to work uh, somewhere else. Did that relationship? Did you ever? Was there any other kind of? Uh, I say a repair or anything like that. Was there any other resolution to that? No, I would think you?
2: I think that I think that um, once a relationship gets into litigation in court, it's pre- it's pretty much irreparable. You know, I think yeah. that uh, it, it's a shame, and you know, had with the benefit of hindsight, if I was doing it again, you know, I'm sure we would have we would have um, uh, maybe worked out a different approach. But you know, what's interesting? It's like. These things at the time, it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever been through litigation, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It's it's a right. horrible experience to go through. But had I had that not occurred, I would have gone down a different path in life. And I probably never would have started in border. And so I kind of look back on it and just think, you know, that that's just part of the the journey that I had to go to and some of the learnings I had to go through to get to where I am now. That's a good point.
1: That's a really good way. It's a help, healthy way of looking at it.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, you know, I think you can't you can't just go up and beat yourself up. You've got to just kind of take the learnings out of anything bad that happens and right. you know, there's that old saying what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So you've got to just, you know, yeah, move on and and just go forward from there.
0: Yeah. Brent, let's talk about some habits. So you you've got a ton of experience, right? you you've been through good, you've been through bad. What are the habits that you've had to lean on? to get
2: to where you are today? Mm. Yeah, I, well, I think, I think that um, probably the first habit is, is being really, almost um, just sort of displaying radical candor. So when, I, when I'm managing someone or working with someone, they know how I feel. There's no, I don't hide it. I don't try to hide it. It's, if I'm if I'm happy and excited, they know. If I'm frustr- frustrated or pissed off or something, they know, right? And so I think the first thing is, um, just just being really, really, um, radically candid with with people mm-hmm. that I work with. That's number one. I think I think the second is, uh, and what I've, I've sort of learned more and more is it's a it's about um, I, it's almost like, especially when. When the going is easy, you can kind of sit back and, you know, allow your team to sort of just go at it. When things right. get tougher, I think as a leader, you've got to lean forward a little bit more and you actually have to bring the team closer and have a, a much narrower focus. So, you know, right now, it's and I'm sure that anyone in the HR tech space or most of the, you know, B2B SaaS space will tell you, it's not easy going out there right now. It's still right. tough, it's tough waters out there. So that means that you've got to make sure that, the whole company is working on the right things in the right order. And so as an exec team, we've got to make sure we all agree, all agree, what are the most important things that we're going to solve this quarter, next quarter, and just focus on that and just, you know, just kind of really just keep this blinding execution focus. And I think we, um, we dropped the ball on that for a while, um, and I certainly dropped the ball on that for a while, but I think now, we've come back and we're and we're just focusing now on the yeah, just blinding execution.
1: I love it. Uh your take on innovation. So I, I knew you way back when when in really was kind of a more of a point solution in yeah. a way that what people would probably even think of it then. And you blink and maybe a couple of rounds of funding. Blink again and it's a different it's a different company not just Mm. in scale and structure, but in the approach to the problem that you're solving.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's interesting. I I look at innovation two different... I'll give you two different answers to it. The first is, um, um, as a company, yeah, we have to innovate. So, you know, in 2015, we came up with a really innovative platform. And, you know, yeah, we built out the features and functionality, but I think we saw competitors starting to sort of come in and start to mimic what we're doing and copy, right? right? So you're... Competitive differentiation narrows. Um, What we've now been doing, and recently we're now launching kind of almost like the next generation of our platform. And so we're kind of, we've got, we've been this experience engine to create amazing employee experiences. Now, what we're doing is we're focusing on human connections on top of that. So, our sort of mantra now to customers is we believe that. It's no longer enough just to create a great experience, especially when you're onboarding an employee. You've got to connect them. You've got to connect them to the manager, their team, and to others in the company and build human connections. So so we're focusing on innovation around, you know, adding a new layer or a new sort of um, just doing more, not just being happy with what we've got we've got. So I think you have to. You have to innovate as as a, a company then there's a sort of, then there's the external innovation that's going on. And, you know, yeah, the world is changing pretty radically. And I think the obvious one is AI and the impact of AI everywhere, right? Now, what's interesting is, um I've, you know, I'm no spring chicken, right? I've been, I've seen a lot of innovation come and go. And I've seen, I've seen stuff that, yeah, the, the internet, I've seen, you know, virtual realities and things I've seen a lot of stuff go some of it sticks some of it doesn't some of it sticks in a certain form and so the the tough part now is kind of looking at the innovation and trying to work out what's really let's get beyond the hype and what's really makes sense for for us and for our customers and and I'll give you an example Um, I I saw an RFP from a customer a few weeks ago and in there, there's a big section on AI. And, you know, they want the platform to do this, do this and this and this. And I looked at it and it's kind of like some of what they want is great. And we're, you know, we're working on that in our roadmap. Some of what they want is just, it's like sales hype. And I can just imagine, oh. um, you know, a flash sales rep from one of the other companies. say, "Oh, our, our system will do this. And so I actually set up a video call with them and I said, I want to talk to you about AI. And I said, let's just, I'll give you our philosophy on AI. I'll tell you where I think it makes a lot of sense, and I'll tell you where we are not going to go down there. We're not going to touch it, and I think it's wrong. And so there's almost this education that needs to happen um, to help the customers jump off the hype bandwagon and really just think through, oh, okay, yes, that makes sense. You're right. I, I, we don't need that. And, in fact, that would probably be a bad thing. So so I think with innovation, uh, and especially the stuff, the stuff that's going on with AI now is incredible, but it's um, it's helping uh, helping customers and partners work out where it makes sense and where where it does it makes no sense at all. Ryan, I have a board question if you're ready. Yeah.
1: So f- funding you've been through I think three rounds. Maybe, maybe um, three s- seed seed round, A round, B round. Yep. Right. Okay. So three rounds, you've got some board members, um and they're all wonderful. They're all <laughs> wonderful. Um, yeah. But but like, what's your advice to uh, to entrepreneurs in the, okay, you're about to go raise a fund. You just started this little widget. Fantastic. Good for you. What's the advice in terms of funding, when and how they should take on funding? And then what do you need on a board? Like every, every CEO yeah. that I know, they need a different dynamic. Like I was on a yeah. board uh, um, and I was an independent. All the other board members were investors. Yep. so i was the lone independent and but yep. that's what the, that, that the ceo needed he needed yep. an independent a person, industry expert that could kind of make sure that the rest of the board understood the industry but yep. that was just that was me in that experience what do you what advice for you would you give for, yeah. for the funding side but also board members that make sense for brent
2: yeah okay so so for the funding side um the world has changed from a funding side pretty dramatically, and it changed mid twenty twenty two okay yep. so and and here's here's my observation of investors. they are like sheep, okay and what I mean by that is is the, the one sheep out the front that's got the loudest voice, maybe it's white Combinator combinado or Andreessenwitz oh, yeah. or whoever it is oh, yeah. they will bleat or they 'll put out a paper and then and they'll turn in a direction, then all of the other sheep will just follow and they'll look so so they t- tend to be very aligned, and they tend to move as a flock, right? Yeah, so right, right. It's like fish it's, in the sea. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, yeah. so you know, up when I started in border, the 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 cat, the mantra, the investor mantra was, you know, it's responsible growth, right? We 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 don't mind if you burn capital as long as you're growing responsibly. Now, and it changed on a dime. Now it is profitable growth, right? So so. Right. Um, so the, the first thing I'd say is, you know, just be aware that the investors' um, mantras or thesis do change. So, and if you're caught on the wrong side of that change, you can find yourself in a lot of trouble, right? So if you're expecting to continue to raise and burn capital as part of your plan, and then all of a right. sudden they say, no, we're not giving you any more capital, you know, you better find a path to get, getting cash flow positive pretty damn quickly, or you will just die. You will die and you'll die quickly. Um, So that's the first thing. Second thing I'd say is like, you know, the more you can bootstrap, if you can work out a way of bootstrapping or at least in the initial days or funding the company without having to take on um, external investment too early, that's fantastic. Um, But then when you're ready, when when you've got product market fit and you kind of feel like, you know, I'm now ready to scale, I think bringing in external um, capital is super helpful. And it's funny, I know some and this now gets to the board dynamics. I know some, um, some CEOs that they, it's like, I don't want to give up control. You know, I don't want to give up control. And they right. just view the board as the enemy. And they, yeah. they talk about managing the board, right? How do I manage the board? Um, right. I, I have the opposite view, right? I'm a first time CEO and I'm feeling my way through it. And the board they sit, you know, they're sitting there managing multiple portfolios and within their company they may have a hundred, hundred portfolio companies. So every problem that I'm hitting, they've seen it multiple times. They've seen what works and what doesn't work. So they've, so they've got so much more experience. So I, I love my board. I truly do love my board. And, um, I view my board as kind of like my, my, uh, guardians, they, they, they kind of surround me and they actually help me to, you know make make the right decisions they sometimes will direct me to make the right decisions, but um sometimes they're pretty tough decisions like we had to go right. um, last year and border had to go from burning capital to being cash flow positive, and that required a riff right so yep. riffs are tough and it's really tough culturally it's tough personally emotionally, but it is a hundred percent the right decision, and we are now cash flow positive as a company which makes us Sustainable and healthy and et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know, the board kind of pushed me there and really made me understand why it was necessary, and I agreed 100 percent with them. Um, so I, I love. I I would urge any um, any entrepreneur to not think about the board as um, a you know a bad group that they're going to manage. Think of the board as if they got if they've got the right board. These are people that are going to help you avoid potholes and. Stay out of trouble.
1: Yeah, they invested in you for a reason. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah. i don't want you to fail. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: I've got two 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 questions or two entirely different questions, but I'm going to put them out there and let you just kind of take them in any order you want. One is you touched on it. When is the right time to take on funding? Right. You 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 touched on maybe go a little deeper there, and then the second half, when we can come back and re-ask it if we need to, is about the riff, and we don't need to know the personal stories yeah. behind that but a lot of companies that we that we've worked with in the past go through this and we were talking i think it was today we were talking about it we were how some just really shit the bed on this they don't yeah. do it in in the right way so i'm curious to hear your your story and your take on yeah. how is the right way to do
2: that yeah yeah okay totally so the first question you know when's the right time to take on external funding um i i, I think uh for us we did, it, um, we did it about uh, 16 months after we started. We had a product in market and we'd started selling it for probably six or eight months. So we actually had signed customers and we were gaining traction. And that was about the, I felt that was about the right time to go out there and talk to seed-level investors. Um, right. and, then, and then we lasted for about a year or two on our seed funding and then when, when it was clear that we were starting to accelerate and with more capital we could grow faster, that was the time we went for Series A funding. So, so there's uh, no perfect formula. Us, you, just, you need to know it. No, I don't think it's perfect formula. But usually, often the investors are going to tell you. that, like, If you go and talk to seed investors, they've they, pretty much got – their, 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 their strike zone box to find out, right? Sure. We're looking for companies that have this much revenue or this much growth or this much, right. you know, so so they'll tell you. And if you have a couple of conversations, you'll know if you're too early, they'll just say, come back and see us in six months or tell us what, come back and see us when your revenues are at this level. So right. so uh, the investors usually guide you. Um, okay. second, second question is the RIF, you know, yeah, look, riffs are hard, but when we decided we had to do the riff, um, we absolutely said, you know, this sucks, but we're going to do the very best we can, right? We're going to do it the best, most humane way. Uh, and that means, you know, um, how we communicate it to them, to the, the impacted staff, how we communicate to the remaining people, um, the benefits we provide, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's tough though, like when you run a global company, um, so, so the, first, the first challenge you've got to really look at is, okay, how much notice do you, give, do you give people? And do you kind of let the company know that this is coming, which kind of puts the whole company on edge and creates a lot of anxiety and tension? And the first thing we debated was that, but the, the general consensus was, no, look, that's it's actually cruel to people. if If all of the people in your company are now going to be um, a nervous wreck if they know that in two weeks there's going to be a, a riff and they may or may not be impacted. So we decided not to not to let people know. Um, but, and then, then there's the mechanics of how do you actually announce it, right? So we're now in a, a post-COVID COVID hybrid global company running across four different time zones in the world. And so I think the old days of, you know, you bring everyone together, you look them in the eye face to face and tell them, um, that doesn't work. So, so what we did is we carefully choreographed it where emails went out at a certain time and it, it kind of basically said, hey, this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. If you've received this email, your job is not impact, impacted, right? So you're safe. Um, the other email was if you've received this email, you, you are unfortunately impacted and you'll see a, you'll see an, in, an invitation in your calendar with your manager in the next hour or two. To sit down and talk it through on zoom with the manager so that was how we executed it with all of um i then did town halls with each of the regions so that day i put in a town hall and i took everyone through um usually board level slides to kind of explain look this is why this is the the here's all of our financials, here's our burn, here's our cash, here's why we have to do this Wow! and what you all understand. So we we shared everything with everyone. We then did Q&A. We did anonymous Q&A. Um, and, uh, you know, so we um, really tried to, to – I, I don't think anyone can do a riff well um, yeah. because it's, it's a painful experience, but we, we put a ton of planning and thought into it to try to do it the best we can. I, I certainly – I hear, like, and you know, if you read any of the press, you see so many horror stories of companies that do it wrong. You know, yeah, right. they're doing it terribly, and it just makes me, especially when it's dribs and drabs, and it's like death by a by hundred cuts over months and months and months, and everyone's just sitting there on tender hooks wanting to know whether the knife's coming down on them next week. That, that kills your culture, kills your morale. Right. Um
1: Ryan, I, I got one last one. If you if you're, are I'll you let good? you take it. Last one is what's the next milestone for you? What do you? Uh, I mean, I'm not say that you're going to retire. I, I don't believe really <laughs> technically believe in retirement. However, yeah, um, what do you pretty, what do you? I mean, to 2024. Yeah. What's the what's the next so, thing you want to accomplish?
2: So in 2024, we're launching this new new um, set of products around human connection. So my near term goal. I, I I really want those. Like we've just done validation with our customers, and we've got like two thumbs up. It's it's pretty exciting stuff. So so my near term goal is I want twenty twenty four to be the year that we launch this new functionality, and it gets adopted in the, with our customers. It differentiates us, etc. So that's near term goal. Longer term goal, um, I th- I think that there's going to be some interesting um, consolidation happening in the in the HR yeah. tech market, and I think that. I think if you start thinking about consolidation in terms of how do you take a couple of really interesting best of breed providers, put them together, and then do something pretty cool with the product integrations, I'd love to. You know, and we've started sort of exploring what would that look like. But I think um, I think ultimately that could be where Emborda ends up. We 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 merge with another company, and we just take our product and we put it together with something else, and then we create something which is not, not being done in the market. Chocolate and peanut butter. Done you deal. Done deal. Listen, we could, so in, we in could 2025, talk to you all.
0: Yeah, it was in yeah, 2025, right. we come back and we're going to follow up on the Vision and see if it happened now.
2: It's a billion-dollar yeah. company. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> know about, I don't know about a billion-dollar company, but um, definitely, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be able to say, yeah, hey, we, ex, you know, boy, we smashed it when we rolled out the new, the new functionality. Yeah. Well, that's
1: that's a that's a that's a big enough goal right there. Thank you so much for your time, Brett. Uh,
2: know how busy you are, and I just appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure, my pleasure, and um, maybe I'll catch you guys in HR Tech later this year.
0: Sure.